Alma chapter 23. Once we review verses 27 to 32 of the previous chapter and realize how extensive the land of the Lamanites had become, we begin to appreciate the fantastic ramifications of the king's decree, which is described in the first two verses of this chapter. Behold, now it came to pass that the king of the Lamanites sent a proclamation among all his people that they should not lay their hands on Ammon or Aaron or Omner or Himni, nor either of their brethren who should go forth preaching the word of God in whatsoever place they should be in any part of their land. Yea, he sent a decree among them that they should not lay their hands on them to bind them or to cast them into prison, neither should they spit upon them nor smite them nor cast them out of their synagogues nor scourge them, neither should they cast stones at them, but that they should have free access to their houses, and also their temples, and their sanctuaries. What wouldn't the Apostle Paul have given for a decree like this as he went forth to convert the Gentile nations? The sons of Mosiah and the other Christian missionaries were to have complete access to every home and every congregation in the land. No one was allowed to smite the missionaries, to arrest them or exclude them from their churches, synagogues, or sanctuaries. And thus they might go forth and preach the word according to their desires. For the king had been converted unto the Lord and all his household. Therefore he sent his proclamation throughout the land unto his people, that the word of God might have no obstruction, but that it might go forth throughout all the land that his people might be convinced concerning the wicked traditions of their fathers, and that they might be convinced that they were all brethren, and that they ought not to murder, nor to plunder, nor to steal, nor to commit adultery, nor to commit any manner of wickedness. Another astonishing aspect of the king's decree was the fact that the missionaries could not only preach the gospel among the people, but they could also denounce the Lamanites' traditions that had so embittered the Lamanites against the Nephites. And now it came to pass that when the king had sent forth this proclamation, that Aaron and his brethren went forth from city to city, and from one house of worship to another, establishing churches, and consecrating priests and teachers throughout the land among the Lamanites, to preach and to teach the word of God among them, and thus they began to have great success. It is no wonder that the Christian missionaries began to have great success. In all the history of missionary proselyting, there is no more exciting example of good prevailing over evil on a massive scale than this one. And thousands were brought to the knowledge of the Lord. Yea, thousands were brought to believe in the traditions of the Nephites. And they were taught the records and prophecies which were handed down even to the present time. And as sure as the Lord liveth, so sure as many as believed, or as many as were brought to the knowledge of the truth, through the preaching of Ammon and his brethren, according to the spirit of revelation and of prophecy, and the power of God working miracles in them, yea, I say unto you, as the Lord liveth, as many of the Lamanites as believed in their preaching, and were converted unto the Lord, never did fall away. Of course, the conversion of the Lamanites had to be accomplished on an individual basis. 
The decree of the king did not allow anyone to be compelled to accept the teachings of the missionaries. Nevertheless, the process of conversion was so carefully nurtured among the people, and the spirit of revelation and prophecy so imbued the converts with soul-stirring convictions that the record says of the thousands of Lamanites who were converted, none were known to have fallen away. For they became a righteous people. They did lay down the weapons of their rebellion, that they did not fight against God any more, neither against any of their brethren. Now these are they who were converted unto the Lord, the people of the Lamanites who were in the land of Ishmael, and also of the people of the Lamanites who were in the land of Madonai, and also of the people of the Lamanites who were in the city of Nephi, and also of the people of the Lamanites who were in the land of Shilom, and who were in the land of Shemlon, and in the city of Lemuel, and in the city of Shemnilam. It is interesting that the cities where the sons of Mosiah personally labored were the foremost centers of concentrated conversion. And these are the names of the cities of the Lamanites which were converted unto the Lord. And these are they that laid down the weapons of their rebellion, yea, all their weapons of war. And they were all Lamanites. And now we come to the fruits of this conversion process. We are told that these people who had formerly waged war against the Nephites and who had been guilty of robbery, predatory looting, and murder now laid down their weapons of war and conquest and covenanted with God that they would never be taken up again, even in defense of their own lives. Then the record highlights a most significant statement. It says all of these converts were Lamanites. The apostate Nephites who had come down and joined the Lamanites did not respond to the message. And the Amalekites were not converted, save only one. Neither were any of the Amulonites, but they did harden their hearts, and also the hearts of the Lamanites in that part of the land wheresoever they dwelt, yea, and all their villages and all their cities. The foremost enemies of the new Christians turned out to be those who had formerly been Nephite Christians, but had apostatized. Among the Amalekites, only one precious person was converted by the missionaries. Among the Amulonites, none were converted. Furthermore, these apostate Nephites who had joined the Lamanites were primarily disciples of Nehor, who denied the coming of Christ and who believed that all mankind would be automatically saved, so there was no need for faith, repentance, or baptism. Therefore we have named all the cities of the Lamanites in which they did repent and come to the knowledge of the truth and were converted. The fact that the disciples of Nehor tried to spread their beliefs among the unconverted Lamanites and stir them up against the Christians caused the people to divide into two huge camps. And now it came to pass that the king and those who were converted were desirous that they might have a name, that thereby they might be distinguished from their brethren. Therefore the king consulted with Aaron and many of their priests concerning the name that they should take upon them, that they might be distinguished. And it came to pass that they called their names Anti-Nephi-Lehi's, and they were called by this name and were no more called Lamanites. My friend Dr. Sidney Sperry of Brigham Young University has suggested that the name Anti-Nephi-Lehi's 
probably meant that the body of Christians in the land of the Lamanites were opposed to the unconverted people of Nephi-Lehi. Now we come to the last verse in this chapter, which recorded the most miraculous development of all. And they began to be a very industrious people. Yea, and they were friendly with the Nephites. Therefore they did open a correspondence with them, and the curse of God did no more follow them. It was marvelous that the converted Lamanites, who were formerly lazy, shiftless, and indolent, had now become highly industrious people. But who were the Nephites with whom it says the Lamanite converts were corresponding? At first one might suppose that contact was being made with the Nephites of Zarahemla, but this does not turn out to be the case. The correspondence by the converted Lamanites must have been with Ammon and the Nephite missionaries, because several years later when Alma ran into the sons of Mosiah returning with their vast multitude of anti-Nephi-Lehites, it came as a complete and shocking surprise to Alma. It was obvious that the people of Zarahemla knew nothing about the amazing things which had been going on down south. The fact that the converted Christians were corresponding with the Nephite missionaries rather than Zarahemla is borne out in Alma chapter 24, verse 8, which we shall consider in a moment. Alma chapter 24. As thousands of Lamanites were baptized and became Christians, the hostility of the unconverted Lamanites and apostate Nephites became a seething passion of opposition and hatred. And it came to pass that the Amalekites and the Amulonites and the Lamanites who were in the land of Amulon, and also in the land of Helam, and who were in the land of Jerusalem, and in fine, in all the land round about, who had not been converted and had not taken upon them the name of anti-Nephi-Lehi, were stirred up by the Amalekites and by the Amulonites to anger against their brethren. There were three main centers of opposition to the Christian Lamanites. Two of these were in the narrow strip of wilderness. One was called Amulon, where the wicked priests of King Noah had brought the kidnapped Lamanite girls and built their community many years earlier. The second was Helam, eight days up into the narrow strip of wilderness where Alma the Elder had set up a city of refuge when he was fleeing with his congregation across the strip of wilderness toward Zarahemla. Another nest of communities built by apostate Nephites, such as the Amalekites and the Amulonites, was not far from Nephi and was called the land of Jerusalem. And their hatred became exceeding sore against them, even insomuch that they began to rebel against their king insomuch that they would not that he should be their king. Therefore they took up arms against the people of anti-Nephi-Lehi. These hate groups determined to completely ignore the king's proclamation designed to protect the missionaries and those who had converted to Christianity. In fact, these hate groups began to take up arms against the anti-Nephi-Lehites. Now the king conferred the kingdom upon his son, and he called his name Anti-Nephi-Lehi. And the king died in that selfsame year that the Lamanites began to make preparations for war against the people of God. In this hour of national crisis, the king turned the entire government over to his son, whom he had renamed Anti-Nephi-Lehi. 
The king died soon afterwards, and it says the Lamanites immediately prepared to make war against the people of God who no longer considered themselves Lamanites. Now when Ammon and his brethren, and all those who had come up with him, saw the preparations of the Lamanites to destroy their brethren, they came forth to the land of Midian, and there Ammon met all his brethren. And from thence they came to the land of Ishmael, that they might hold a council with Lamoni, and also with his brother Anti-Nephi-Lehi, what they should do to defend themselves against the Lamanites. The new king was the brother of King Lamoni, and the missionaries decided to gather to the land of Ishmael and confer with Lamoni and his brother concerning what action they should take. The results of this conference were rather amazing. Now there was not one soul among all the people who had been converted unto the Lord that would take up arms against their brethren. Nay, they would not even make any preparations for war. Yea, and also their king commanded them that they should not. The new king addressed the people who had gathered together in the land of Ishmael as follows. Now these are the words which he said unto the people concerning the matter. I thank my God, my beloved people, that our great God has in goodness sent these, our brethren, the Nephites, unto us to preach unto us, and to convince us of the traditions of our wicked fathers. And behold, I thank my great God that he has given us a portion of his Spirit to soften our hearts, that we have opened a correspondence with these brethren, the Nephites. And behold, I also thank my God that by opening this correspondence we have been convinced of our sins and of the many murders which we have committed. We need to interrupt at this point and consider what the king has just said. Notice how he lists among their catalog of sins their many murders. It must have come as a shock when they became converts and learned that the atonement of Jesus Christ does not cover murder. However, if it is done in ignorance of God's law, there is a special allowance by God. The casual manner in which Lamoni had killed his servants, who had lost a few sheep, and the apparent readiness of Lamoni's father to kill Ammon, is indicative of the relative indifference which the apostate Lamanite culture held toward the sanctity of human life. But their conversion to Christianity had changed all of that. Now the king says they realize the magnitude of their sins, including their many murders. The intensity of their desire to be forgiven for these terrible sins is reflected in the rest of the king's comments. And I also thank my God, yea, my great God, that he hath granted unto us that we might repent of these things, and also that he hath forgiven us of those our many sins and murders which we have committed and taken away the guilt from our hearts through the merits of his Son. The king knows they committed their sins in ignorance, and that is one thing the Savior is willing to take into consideration. In the next verse he indicates that in spite of these terrible sins and many murders which he mentions for the third time, the missionaries had taught them that God will forgive them because they had not been taught the gospel until now. Nevertheless, these sins were so heinous that they have resolved to gain God's forgiveness by entering a covenant, never to shed blood again, even in self-defense. And now behold, my brethren, 
Since it has been all that we could do, as we were the most lost of all mankind, to repent of all our sins and the many murders which we have committed, and to get God to take them away from our hearts, for it was all we could do to repent sufficiently before God that He would take away our stain. Now, my best beloved brethren, since God hath taken away our stains, and our swords have become bright, then let us stain our swords no more with the blood of our brethren. Behold, I say unto you, Nay, let us retain our swords, that they be not stained with the blood of our brethren. For perhaps, if we should stain our swords again, they can no more be washed bright through the blood of the Son of our great God, which shall be shed for the atonement of our sins. And the great God has had mercy on us, and made these things known unto us, that we might not perish. Yea, and he has made these things known unto us beforehand, because he loveth our souls as well as he loveth our children. Therefore in his mercy he doth visit us by his angels, that the plan of salvation might be made known unto us, as well as unto future generations. Oh, how merciful is our God! And now behold, since it has been as much as we could do to get our stains taken away from us, and our swords are made bright, let us hide them away, that they may be kept bright, as a testimony to our God at the last day, or at the day that we shall be brought to stand before him to be judged, that we have not stained our swords in the blood of our brethren, since he imparted his word unto us, and has made us clean thereby. And now, my brethren, if our brethren seek to destroy us, behold, we will hide away our swords, yea, even we will bury them deep in the earth, that they may be kept bright, as a testimony that we have never used them at the last day. And if our brethren destroy us, behold, we shall go to our God, and shall be saved. The king then declared that they will hide away their weapons of all kind, including their swords, so they will never be tempted to use them again to destroy human life. Of course, he recognizes that their enemies may soon come upon them. But if this happens, they must be determined to let their own lives be taken rather than resist these attacks by killing their fellow human beings. To demonstrate their firm determination to carry out this resolution, here is what we read. And now it came to pass that when the king had made an end of these sayings, and all the people were assembled together, they took their swords and all the weapons which were used for the shedding of man's blood, and they did bury them up deep in the earth. And this they did, it being in their view a testimony to God and also to men, that they never would use weapons again for the shedding of man's blood. And this they did vouching and covenanting with God, that rather than shed the blood of their brethren, they would give up their own lives. And rather than take away from a brother, they would give unto him. And rather than spend their days in idleness, they would labor abundantly with their hands. Notice that these people were determined to live the principles of the gospel in their most literal sense. Their conversion to the gospel had changed their entire lifestyle. And thus we see that 
When these Lamanites were brought to believe and to know the truth, they were firm, and would suffer even unto death rather than commit sin. And thus we see that they buried their weapons of peace, or they buried the weapons of war for peace. By way of contrast, here is what the spirit of Satan was doing to those who had rejected the gospel. And it came to pass that their brethren the Lamanites made preparations for war, and came up to the land of Nephi for the purpose of destroying the king, and to place another in his stead, and also of destroying the people of anti-Nephi-Lehi out of the land. Now when the people saw that they were coming against them, they went out to meet them, and prostrated themselves before them to the earth, and began to call on the name of the Lord. And thus they were in this attitude when the Lamanites began to fall upon them, and began to slay them with the sword. And thus, without meeting any resistance, they did slay a thousand and five of them. And we know that they are blessed, for they have gone to dwell with their God. We have to ask ourselves, where in all the annals of history do we find a demonstration of faith equal to this? But slaughtering helpless people kneeling in prayer eventually had a revolting impact on the Lamanites who finally realized they were murdering their own people. Now when the Lamanites saw that their brethren would not flee from the sword, neither would they turn aside to the right hand or to the left, but that they would lie down and perish, and praised God even in the very act of perishing under the sword. Now when the Lamanites saw this, they did forbear from slaying them. And there were many whose hearts had swollen in them for those of their brethren who had fallen under the sword, for they repented of the things which they had done. And it came to pass that they threw down their weapons of war, and they would not take them again, for they were stung for the murders which they had committed. And they came down even as their brethren, relying upon the mercies of those whose arms were lifted to slay them. And it came to pass that the people of God were joined that day by more than the number who had been slain. And those who had been slain were righteous people. Therefore we have no reason to doubt but what they were saved. Never before in history had so many hundreds of people been converted to the gospel under circumstances such as these. We cannot help but be amazed at the faith of those who were willing to die and the fantastic faith of their wives and loved ones who were willing to see it happen. And there was not a wicked man slain among them, but there were more than a thousand brought to the knowledge of the truth Thus we see that the Lord worketh in many ways to the salvation of his people. Now the greatest number of those of the Lamanites who slew so many of their brethren were Amalekites and Amulonites, the greatest number of whom were after the order of the Nehors. Now among those who joined the people of the Lord, there were none who were Amalekites or Amulonites or who were of the order of Nehor, but they were actual descendants of Laman and Lemuel. At this point, Mormon the historian cannot help but make a stinging editorial comment concerning these diabolical apostate Nephites who reveled in the murder of innocent Christian Lamanites. And thus we can plainly discern that after a people have been once enlightened by the Spirit of God and have had great knowledge of things pertaining to righteousness, 
and then have fallen away into sin and transgression, they become more hardened, and thus their state becomes worse than though they had never known these things. Alma chapter 25 Of course there were many Lamanites as well as Amalekites and Amulonites who did not join the anti-Nephi-Lehites. All of these decided that the real enemy was not their fellow Lamanites, but the main body of Nephites up around Zarahemla. So this state of mind called for a completely new military strategy. And behold, now it came to pass that those Lamanites were more angry because they had slain their brethren. Therefore they swore vengeance upon the Nephites, and they did no more attempt to slay the people of anti-Nephi-Lehi at that time. But they took their armies and went over into the borders of the land of Zarahemla, and fell upon the people who were in the land of Ammonihah, and destroyed them. Now our story has gone full cycle. We had wondered why the Lamanite army would cross the narrow strip of wilderness and sweep into the Sidon Valley to attack the one city that was anti-Christian and in total sympathy with the abominable doctrines of Nehor. In one day, this Lamanite army slaughtered the entire population of Ammonihah, the one city that would gladly have joined them as allies to fight the rest of the Nephites if they had been asked to do so. And after that, they had many battles with the Nephites, in the which they were driven and slain. It will be recalled from Alma chapter 16 that a great Nephite general named Zoram had been appointed to lead the Nephite armies, and he not only recovered the prisoners taken by the Lamanites, but completely routed the Lamanites from the land of Zarahemla. The remnants of this Lamanite army fled into the eastern wilderness, and in the next four verses we learn that many of the Lamanites not only felt completely defeated, but they remembered the teachings of Aaron and the missionaries and wished they had joined the anti-Lehi Nephites. But the Amulonites got control of the remnants of the Lamanite army and put to death by fire any who expressed sympathy for the teachings of the missionaries. And among the Lamanites who were slain were almost all the seed of Amulon and his brethren, who were the priests of Noah. And they were slain by the hands of the Nephites. And the remainder having fled into the east wilderness, and having usurped the power and authority over the Lamanites, caused that many of the Lamanites should perish by fire because of their belief. For many of them, after having suffered much loss and so many afflictions, began to be stirred up in remembrance of the words which Aaron and his brethren had preached to them in their land. Therefore they began to disbelieve the traditions of their fathers, and to believe in the Lord, and that he gave great power unto the Nephites. And thus there were many of them converted in the wilderness. And it came to pass that those rulers who were the remnant of the children of Amulon caused that they should be put to death, yea, all those that believed in these things. Now this martyrdom of so many Lamanites caused a violent uprising against the Amulonites. To refresh our memories, these Amulonites were the descendants of Amulon, leader of the wicked priests of King Noah, who kidnapped the daughters of the Lamanites. These are the same wicked priests who had persecuted the prophet Abinadi and burned him at the stake. 
Now the remnants of the Lamanites rose up against the Ambulonites. And verse 10 suggests that wherever the Lamanites could find any Ambulonites, they were slain. The next two verses tell the story. Now this martyrdom caused that many of their brethren should be stirred up to anger. And there began to be contention in the wilderness. And the Lamanites began to hunt the seed of Amulon and his brethren and began to slay them. And they fled into the east wilderness. And behold, they are hunted at this day by the Lamanites. Thus the words of Abinadi were brought to pass, which he said concerning the seed of the priests, who caused that he should suffer death by fire. For he said unto them, What ye shall do unto me shall be a type of things to come. It is rather amazing, but all of this burning of Amulonites by the Lamanites was a direct fulfillment of a prophecy of Abinadi when he was burned at the stake. The scripture says, And now Abinadi was the first that suffered death by fire because of his belief in God. Now this is what he meant, that many should suffer death by fire according as he had suffered. And he said unto the priests of Noah that their seed should cause many to be put to death in the like manner as he was, and that they should be scattered abroad and slain, even as a sheep having no shepherd is driven and slain by wild beasts. And now behold, these words were verified, for they were driven by the Lamanites, and they were hunted, and they were smitten. When the Amulonites in the east wilderness had been completely overthrown, the remnant of the Lamanite army struggled back across the narrow strip of wilderness to return to their own land. However, many of the Lamanites gathered up their families and went directly to the land of Ishmael, hoping they could find the missionaries. And it came to pass that when the Lamanites saw that they could not overpower the Nephites, they returned again to their own land. And many of them came over to dwell in the land of Ishmael and the land of Nephi, and did join themselves to the people of God, who were the people of Anti-Nephi-Lehi. And they did also bury their weapons of war according as their brethren had. And they began to be a righteous people, and they did walk in the ways of the Lord, and did observe to keep his commandments and his statutes. Yea, and they did keep the law of Moses. For it was expedient that they should keep the law of Moses as yet, for it was not all fulfilled. But notwithstanding the law of Moses, they did look forward to the coming of Christ, considering that the law of Moses was a type of his coming, and believing that they must keep those outward performances until the time that he should be revealed unto them. Now they did not suppose that salvation came by the law of Moses, but the law of Moses did serve to strengthen their faith in Christ and thus they did retain a hope through faith unto eternal salvation, relying upon the spirit of prophecy which spake of those things to come. At this juncture one cannot help wondering how the missionaries felt about all these developments. They must have been especially surprised with this unexpected bounty of converts which came after the return of the remnants of the Lamanite army. This brings us to the last verse of this chapter, which says, And now behold, Ammon and Aaron and Omner and Himni and their brethren did rejoice exceedingly for the success which they had had among the Lamanites, seeing that the Lord had granted unto them according to their prayers 
and that he had also verified his word unto them in every particular. Alma chapter 26 This chapter is a continuation of chapter 25. The first nine verses are a direct quotation from the exaltations which Ammon felt as he contemplated the blessings they had received since they had come among the Lamanites as missionaries. And now these are the words of Ammon to his brethren, which say thus, My brothers and my brethren, behold, I say unto you, how great reason have we to rejoice. For could we have supposed when we started from the land of Zarahemla that God would have granted unto us such great blessings? And now I ask, what great blessings has he bestowed upon us? Can ye tell? Behold, I answer for you, for our brethren, the Lamanites, were in darkness, yea, even in the darkest abyss. But behold, how many of them are brought to behold the marvelous light of God? And this is the blessing which hath been bestowed upon us, that we have been made instruments in the hands of God to bring about this great work. Behold, thousands of them do rejoice and have been brought into the fold of God. Behold, the field was ripe, and blessed are ye, for ye did thrust in the sickle and did reap with your might. Yea, all the day long did ye labor. And behold, the number of your sheaves, and they shall be gathered into the garners that they are not wasted. Yea, they shall not be beaten down by the storm at the last day. Yea, neither shall they be harrowed up by the whirlwinds. But when the storm cometh, they shall be gathered together in their place, that the storm cannot penetrate to them. Yea, neither shall they be driven with fierce winds, whithersoever the enemy listeth to carry them. But behold, they are in the hands of the Lord of the harvest, and they are his, and he will raise them up at the last day. Blessed be the name of our God. Let us sing to his praise. Yea, let us give thanks to his holy name. For he doth work righteousness forever. For if we had not come up out of the land of Zarahemla, these our dearly beloved brethren who have so dearly beloved us would still have been racked with hatred against us. Yea, and they would also have been strangers to God. Now before Ammon could continue his outpouring of happy exultation over the things which they had been able to accomplish, he was interrupted by his brother Aaron. And it came to pass that when Ammon had said these words, his brother Aaron rebuked him, saying, Ammon, I fear that thy joy doth carry thee away unto boasting. Of course Ammon was shocked that his words would be misinterpreted as boasting rather than exultation. He therefore wanted to get his own feelings straightened out in their minds before he continued his remarks. But Ammon said unto him, I do not boast in my own strength nor in my own wisdom. But behold, my joy is full, yea, my heart is brim with joy, and I will rejoice in my God. Yea, I know that I am nothing. As to my strength, I am weak. Therefore I will not boast of myself, but I will boast of my God. For in his strength I can do all things. Yea, behold, many mighty miracles we have wrought in this land, for which we will praise his name forever. Behold, how many thousands of our brethren has he loosed from the pains of hell? 
and they are brought to sing redeeming love, and this because of the power of his word which is in us. Therefore have we not great reason to rejoice? Yea, we have reason to praise him forever, for he is the Most High God, and has loosed our brethren from the chains of hell. Yea, they were encircled about with everlasting darkness and destruction, but behold, he has brought them into his everlasting light, yea, into everlasting salvation, and they are encircled about with the matchless bounty of his love. Yea, and we have been instruments in his hands of doing this great and marvelous work. Once Ammon had made it clear that his exultation was actually a psalm of praise to the Lord, he had no compunction about continuing. So far he had covered three great blessings which had been showered upon them by the Lord. First there was the joy of seeing literally thousands of their Lamanite brethren rising from the pit of darkness where their people had been for several centuries and basking now in the radiant light of the gospel. Secondly, they had arrived among the Lamanites when the time was just right for a great conversion harvest. They had thrust in their sickle with their might, and the consequences had been phenomenal. Third, it made Ammon shudder to think how different things would have been if they had not followed the promptings of the Spirit and gained their father's approval to plunge into the proselyting of the Lamanites. Ammon finished all this part of his thanks to God for all his blessings by saying, quote, I cannot say the smallest part of what I feel, unquote. Therefore let us glory, yea, we will glory in the Lord. Yea, we will rejoice, for our joy is full. Yea, we will praise our God forever. Behold, who can glory too much in the Lord? Yea, who can say too much of his great power, and of his mercy, and of his long-suffering towards the children of men? Behold, I say unto you, I cannot say the smallest part which I feel. Next, Ammon began thinking what had to happen to them and the four sons of Mosiah before they responded to the Spirit and came down to become missionaries among the Lamanites. Imagine the youngest son of the president of the church and the four sons of the king all going up and down the land trying to get young people to sin and no longer support the church. This is described in Mosiah chapter 27 verses 8 to 10. But as Alma later says in his writings, chapter 13, verse 3, the Lord knew of their good works before they were born, and therefore he sent an angel to bring them to their senses. When the angel first appeared, his voice was like thunder. He knocked the five young men to the ground. They barely rose to their feet when the angel's voice knocked them down again. And this time Alma did not arise. He was left unconscious three days and three nights. Mosiah 27 verse 8 says he had been practicing idolatry, but what he saw in the spirit world almost frightened him into thinking he had become a son of perdition. However, when he finally came out of the coma, Alma knew just how wicked he had been. The experience left him a frightened, humbled servant of God but he had been told he would be given a second chance. How grateful he was for at least his good works in the pre-existence that made him worthy to have an angel visit him and bring him to his senses. 
At this point, Alma meditates on their former wickedness and says, Who could have supposed that our God would have been so merciful as to have snatched us from our awful, sinful, and polluted state? Behold, we went forth even in wrath with mighty threatenings to destroy his church. Oh, then why did he not consign us to an awful destruction? Yea, why did he not let the sword of his justice fall upon us and doom us to eternal despair? O oh, my soul, almost as it were, fleeth at the thought. Behold, he did not exercise his justice upon us, but in his great mercy hath brought us over that everlasting gulf of death and misery, even to the salvation of our souls. Now Ammon wants to expound on God's miracle of forgiveness under the atonement of Jesus Christ. He says this miracle is available to all who are willing to repent. And now behold, my brethren, what natural man is there that knoweth these things? I say unto you, there is none that knoweth these things, save it be the penitent. Yea, he that repenteth and exerciseth faith and bringeth forth good works, and prayeth continually without ceasing. Unto such it is given to know the mysteries of God. Yea, unto such it shall be given to reveal things which never have been revealed. Yea, and it shall be given unto such to bring thousands of souls to repentance, even as it has been given unto us to bring these our brethren to repentance. Ammon also wants to emphasize the necessity of listening to the whispering spirit of the Lord and performing whatever mission a repentant person is called to perform. He says, Now do ye remember, my brethren, that we said unto our brethren in the land of Zarahemla, We go up to the land of Nephi to preach unto our brethren the Lamanites. And they laughed us to scorn, for they said unto us, do ye suppose that ye can bring the Lamanites to the knowledge of the truth? Do ye suppose that ye can convince the Lamanites of the incorrectness of the traditions of their fathers, as stiff-necked a people as they are, whose hearts delight in the shedding of blood, whose days have been spent in the grossest iniquity, whose ways have been the ways of a transgressor from the beginning? Now, my brethren, ye remember that this was their language. And moreover they did say, Let us take up arms against them, that we destroy them and their iniquity out of the land, lest they overrun us and destroy us. But behold, my beloved brethren, we came into the wilderness not with the intent to destroy our brethren, but with the intent that perhaps we might save some few of their souls. The mission to the Lamanites was so bitterly difficult but Ammon rejoices that God was watching over them and comforting them so they would not give up and go home. Now when our hearts were depressed and we were about to turn back, behold, the Lord comforted us and said, Go amongst thy brethren the Lamanites and bear with patience thine afflictions, and I will give unto you success. As he thinks back on it, Ammon is amazed what they were willing to go through for the sake of the Lamanites. Now behold, we have come and been forth amongst them, and we have been patient in our sufferings, and we have suffered every privation. Yea, we have traveled from house to house, relying upon the mercies of the world, not upon the mercies of the world alone, but upon the mercies of God. 
And we have entered into their houses and taught them, and we have taught them in their streets, yea, and we have taught them upon their hills. And we have also entered into their temples and their synagogues and taught them. And we have been cast out and mocked and spit upon and smote upon our cheeks, and we have been stoned and taken and bound with strong cords and cast into prison. And through the power and wisdom of God we have been delivered again. And we have suffered all manner of afflictions and all this that perhaps we might be the means of saving some soul. And we suppose that our joy would be full if perhaps we could be the means of saving some. Ammon can scarcely believe the quality of the converts with which God has blessed them. The love of these converted Lamanites for their fellow Lamanites and the missionaries is unprecedented. Now, behold, we can look forth and see the fruits of our labors, and are they few? I say unto you, Nay, they are many, yea, and we can witness of their sincerity, because of their love towards their brethren, and also towards us. Their love is so great that they will allow their own lives to be taken before they will shed their blood of another human being, even in defense of their own lives. For behold, they had rather sacrifice their lives than even to take the life of their enemy, and they have buried their weapons of war deep in the earth because of their love towards their brethren. And now behold, I say unto you, Has there been so great love in all the land? Behold, I say unto you, Nay, there has not, even among the Nephites. For behold, they would take up arms against their brethren, they would not suffer themselves to be slain. But behold, how many of these have laid down their lives, and we know that they have gone to their God, because of their love and of their hatred to sin. Ammon does not think any missionaries have had such a phenomenal harvest of saint-like conversion since the world began. Now have we not reason to rejoice? Yea, I say unto you, there never were men that had so great reason to rejoice as we since the world began. Yea, and my joy is carried away, even unto boasting in my God. For he has all power, all wisdom, and all understanding. He comprehendeth all things, and he is a merciful being, even unto salvation to those who will repent and believe on his name. Now, if this is boasting, even so will I boast. For this is my life and my light, my joy and my salvation and my redemption from everlasting woe. Yea, blessed is the name of my God, who has been mindful of this people, who are a branch of the tree of Israel, and has been lost from its body in a strange land. Yea, I say, blessed be the name of my God, who has been mindful of us, wanders in a strange land. Ammon says their mission to the Lamanites proves that God is mindful of every people, no matter how debauched and degraded they might have become. Here is the way Ammon concludes his great psalm of praise to God. Now, my brethren, we see that God is mindful of every people, whatsoever land they may be in. Yea, he numbereth his people and his bowels of mercy are over all the earth. Now this is my joy and my great thanksgiving. Yea, and I will give thanks unto my God forever. Amen. Alma chapter 27. This is a great watershed chapter. 
where the converted Lamanites are led by the missionaries to leave the land of the Lamanites. They receive a royal welcome among the Nephites. They are also given a new section of land for their new homes called the land of Jershon. Now it came to pass that when those Lamanites who had gone to war against the Nephites had found after their many struggles to destroy them, that it was in vain to seek their destruction, they returned again to the land of Nephi. It will be recalled that the first wave of destruction against the anti-Nephi-Lehites was before the Lamanite army had gone to annihilate the city of Ammonihah. Now after they annihilated Ammonihah, they were finally driven back into their own lands. There might have been peace thereafter, but the Amalekites, who were a bitter apostate group of former Nephites, decided to gratify their passion for vengeance by renewing the slaughter of the anti-Nephi-Lehites, knowing that they would not make any resistance. In this savage attack against the anti-Nephi-Lehites, the Amalekites did not have the support of any Amulonites, because the remnant of the Lamanite army had been killing off Amulonites wherever they could find them. This is described in Alma chapter 25, verses 8 and 9. And it came to pass that the Amalekites, because of their loss, were exceeding angry. And when they saw that they could not seek revenge from the Nephites, they began to stir up the people in anger against their brethren, the people of anti-Nephi-Lehi. Therefore they began again to destroy them. Now this people again refused to take their arms, and they suffered themselves to be slain according to the desires of their enemies. This massacre of the Christian converts, that is the anti-Nephi-Lehites, was so abhorrent to the missionaries that they conjured up a plan that they hoped might save them. Now when Ammon and his brethren saw this work of destruction among those whom they so dearly beloved, and among those who had so dearly beloved them, for they were treated as though they were angels sent from God to save them from everlasting destruction. Therefore, when Ammon and his brethren saw this great work of destruction, they were moved with compassion. And they said unto the king, Let us gather together this people of the Lord, and let us go down to the land of Zarahemla to our brethren the Nephites, and flee out of the hands of our enemies that we be not destroyed. But the king said unto them, Behold, the Nephites will destroy us because of the many murders and sins we have committed against them. And Ammon said, I will go and inquire of the Lord, and if he say unto us, Go down unto our brethren, will ye go? And the king said unto him, Yea, if the Lord saith unto us, Go, we will go down unto our brethren and we will be their slaves until we repair unto them the many murders and sins which we have committed against them. The king said that if the Lord approved, he would not only lead the people to join the Nephites, but he said they would offer to be their slaves. By this means he thought they would partially repay the Nephites for all the murders and looting they had committed against them over the years. But Ammon said unto him, it is against the law of our brethren, which was established by my father, that there should be any slaves among them. Therefore let us go down and rely upon the mercies of our brethren. In the next verse, we see evidence of the willingness of the anti-Nephi-Lehites to suffer total genocidal extinction 
if the Lord told them to remain in their own land. As Ammon had said in the previous chapter, there was no instance since the world began of such manifest devotion and love of the Lord as that which was exhibited by these Lamanite converts. But the king said unto him, Inquire of the Lord, and if he saith unto us, Go, we will go, otherwise we will perish in the land. And it came to pass that Ammon went and inquired of the Lord, and the Lord said unto him, Get this people out of this land, that they perish not. For Satan has great hold on the hearts of the Amalekites, who do stir up the Lamanites to anger against their brethren to slay them. Therefore get thee out of this land, and blessed are this people in this generation, for I will preserve them. Not only did the Lord command the anti-Nephi-Lehites to take all their possessions and join the Nephites, but he promised they would be preserved. And now it came to pass that Ammon went and told the king all the words which the Lord had said unto him. And they gathered together all their people, yea, all the people of the Lord, and did gather together all their flocks and herds, and departed out of the land, and came into the wilderness which divided the land of Nephi from the land of Zarahemla, and came over near the borders of the land. And it came to pass that Ammon said unto them, Behold, I and my brethren will go forth into the land of Zarahemla, and ye shall remain here until we return, and we will try the hearts of our brethren, whether they will that ye shall come into their land. It is evident that the four sons of Messiah hoped with all their hearts that their fellow Nephites would be charitable and receive these wonderful refugee converts. But they first wanted to reconnoiter with the Nephites just to make sure. As they traveled north, they had a marvelous surprise awaiting them. And it came to pass that as Ammon was going forth into the land, that he and his brethren met Alma, over in the place of which has been spoken. And behold, this was a joyful meeting. Now the joy of Ammon was so great, even that he was full, yea, he was swallowed up in the joy of his God, even to the exhausting of his strength, and he fell again to the earth. This capacity of Ammon to feel joy to a degree where he fainted away had happened before, and is described in Alma chapter 17, verses 14 and 17. Mormon the historian could not resist making the following comment concerning Ammon's capacity for joy compared with that of the others. Now was this not exceeding joy? Behold, this is joy which none receiveth, save it be the truly penitent and humble seeker of happiness. Now the joy of Alma in meeting his brethren was truly great, and also the joy of Aaron, of Omner, and Himni, but behold, their joy was not that to exceed their strength. The missionaries could not have met a more sympathetic and congenial Nephite than Alma, the president of the church and a great missionary in his own right. And now it came to pass that Alma conducted his brethren back to the land of Zarahemla, even to his own house. And they went and told the chief judge all the things that had happened unto them in the land of Nephi among their brethren, the Lamanites. It is interesting how the chief judge handled this delicate situation where thousands of refugee anti-Nephi-Lehites 
were camped by the thousands on the borders of Zarahemla. And it came to pass that the chief judge sent a proclamation throughout all the land, desiring the voice of the people concerning the admitting their brethren, who were the people of Anti-Nephi-Lehi. And it came to pass that the voice of the people came, saying, Behold, we will give up the land of Jershon, which is on the east by the sea, which joins the land bountiful, which is on the south of the land bountiful. And this land, Jershon, is the land which we will give unto our brethren for an inheritance. Of course, since the more dissident Lamanites under the provocation and leadership of the hate-filled Amalekites might come up from the land of Nephi in order to massacre the anti-Nephi-Lehites. Therefore, the Nephites had to decide if they wanted to take the responsibility of defending these people who would not defend themselves. This turned out to be an extremely important decision. Here is what the Nephites said. And behold, we will set our armies between the land Jershon and the land Nephi, that we may protect our brethren in the land Jershon. And this we do for our brethren, on account of their fear to take up arms against their brethren, lest they should commit sin. And this their great fear came because of their sore repentance which they had, on account of their many murders and their awful wickedness. And now, behold, this will we do unto our brethren, that they may inherit the land Jershon, and we will guard them from their enemies with our armies, on condition that they will give us a portion of their substance to assist us that we may maintain our armies. This was glorious news, and Alma went back with Ammon to the border of the wilderness to assure these people that they were welcomed and they would be protected. Now it came to pass that when Ammon had heard this, he returned to the people of Anti-Nephi-Lehi and also Alma with him into the wilderness where they had pitched their tents, and made known unto them all these things. And Alma also related unto them his conversion with Ammon and Aaron and his brethren. And it came to pass that it did cause great joy among them. And they went down into the land of Jershon and took possession of the land of Jershon. And they were called by the Nephites the people of Ammon. Therefore they were distinguished by that name ever after. It is interesting that the anti-Nephi-Lehites not only got a new land, but they got a new name. They would be called the Ammonites, and they were completely assimilated into the Nephite civilization except for their covenant not to shed blood. And they were among the people of Nephi, and also numbered among the people who were of the church of God. And they were also distinguished for their zeal towards God, and also towards men, for they were perfectly honest and upright in all things. And they were firm in the faith of Christ, even unto the end. And they did look upon shedding the blood of their brethren with the greatest abhorrence, and they never could be prevailed upon to take up arms against their brethren, and they never did look upon death with any degree of terror, for their hope and views of Christ and the resurrection. Therefore death was swallowed up to them by the victory of Christ over it. Therefore they would suffer death in the most aggravating and distressing manner which could be inflicted by their brethren, 
before they would take the sword or scimitar to smite them. Mormon the historian makes the following closing comments on all these amazing developments. And thus they were a zealous and beloved people, a highly favored people of the Lord. Chapter 28 Apparently the Nephites launched a total effort of all their people to get the anti-Nephi-Lehites settled down in the land of Jershon, and the armies of the Nephites deployed strategically all around so that they could protect these thousands of new converts in case the Lamanites came up to avenge themselves. And now it came to pass that after the people of Ammon were established in the land of Jershon, and a church also established in the land of Jershon. And the armies of the Nephites were set round about the land of Jershon, yea, in all the borders round about the land of Zarahemla. Behold, the armies of the Lamanites had followed their brethren into the wilderness. This verse indicates that the migration of the anti-Nephi-Lehites up to the land of Zarahemla had been carefully tracked by the Lamanites. But this does not mean that they were followed by a whole Lamanite army. It was merely a group of spies. However, when the word came back that the anti-Nephi-Lehites had been given the land of Jershon and were now to be called the people of Ammon, the Lamanite leaders determined to mobilize their whole people and annihilate the Nephites as a nation. The results were devastating. And thus there was a tremendous battle. Yea, even such an one as never had been known among all the people in the land from the time Lehi left Jerusalem. Yea, and tens of thousands of the Lamanites were slain and scattered abroad. Yea, and also there was a tremendous slaughter among the people of Nephi. Nevertheless, the Lamanites were driven and scattered, and the people of Nephi returned again to their land. Mormon devotes just two verses to the worst war in the history of the Nephites and Lamanites. We are told that thousands were slaughtered on both sides, but in the end the Lamanites were devastated and the remnant of their scattered survivors were forced to creep back down to the land of Nephi. And now this was a time that there was a great mourning and lamentation heard throughout all the land, among all the people of Nephi. Yea, the cry of widows mourning for their husbands, and also of fathers mourning for their sons, and the daughter for the brother, yea, the brother for the father. And thus the cry of mourning was heard among all of them, mourning for their kindred who had been slain. And now surely this was a sorrowful day, yea, a time of solemnity, and a time of much fasting and prayer. With the destruction of so much life on both sides and the universal sorrows of practically every family because of the loss of their loved ones, the survivors were reduced to a sense of total dependency on the Lord. How could they have allowed themselves to degenerate to this state of mass destruction when God had given them as an inheritance the choicest land on earth? And thus endeth the fifteenth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. By the end of the fifteenth year of the judges, the calendar of world history had rolled down to 76 B.C.
Now the rest of this chapter appears to be an editorial note by Mormon the historian. As he contemplates all that has happened during the past 15 years, he summarizes it as follows. And this is the account of Ammon and his brethren, their journeyings in the land of Nephi, their sufferings in the land, their sorrows and their afflictions, and their incomprehensible joy, and the reception and safety of the brethren in the land of Jershon. And now may the Lord, the Redeemer of all men, bless their souls forever. He first comments on the rise of the anti-Nephi-Lehites, or the people of Ammon. These people had gone from a band of predatory robbers and murderers to a band of Christian converts who would not even shed blood to save their own lives. There was nothing like it in the known history of the world. And this is the account of the wars and contentions among the Nephites, and also the wars between the Nephites and the Lamanites. And the fifteenth year of the reign of the judges is ended. And from the first year to the fifteenth, has brought to pass the destruction of many thousand lives. Yea, it has brought to pass an awful scene of bloodshed, and the bodies of many thousands are laid low in the earth, while the bodies of many thousands are moldering in heaps upon the face of the earth. Yea, and many thousands are mourning for the loss of their kindred, because they have reason to fear, according to the promises of the Lord, that they are consigned to a state of endless woe. Mormon reflects on the many thousands of those who were killed before they were ready to return to their Maker. The missionaries had taught the gospel to the Lamanites and Amalekites before they had waged this war, but they had rejected the gospel. Now they had died in their sins, and according to the warning of the Lord, they must be consigned to a state of punishment that will be prolonged in eternity until they have paid the uttermost farthing. While many thousands of others truly mourn for the loss of their kindred, yet they rejoice and exult in the hope, and even know, according to the promises of the Lord, that they are raised to dwell at the right hand of God, in a state of never-ending happiness. But Mormon rejoices over those who accepted the message of the missionaries and became devoted Christians. Those who were killed because they had made a covenant never to shed any more blood will be raised to dwell at the right hand of God. And thus we see how great the inequality of man is because of sin and transgression, and the power of the devil which comes by the cunning plans which he hath devised to ensnare the hearts of men. Mormon cannot help but comment on the great inequalities that arise among human beings because of the choices they make. Those who listen to the whisperings of Satan get no reward except the consequences of being caught in the devil's devastating snare of sorrow. And thus we see the great call of diligence of men to labor in the vineyards of the Lord. And thus we see the great reason of sorrow and also of rejoicing. Sorrow because of death and destruction among men, and joy because of the light of Christ unto life. Mormon concludes by commenting on the superb achievement of the missionaries and their diligence in proclaiming the gospel. Mankind can thereby choose between the brilliant course of rejoicing if they accept the gospel 
or the miserable course of sorrow if they reject it. Alma chapter 29. Without any explanation or introduction, Mormon commences quoting a beautiful soliloquy from the writings of Alma. However, we have to go clear over to verses 13 and 14 before we are certain that these are the words of Alma and not of Mormon. Oh, that I were an angel, and could have the wish of mine heart, that I might go forth and speak with a trump of God, with a voice to shake the earth, and cry repentance unto every people. Yea, I would declare unto every soul as with the voice of thunder, repentance, and the plan of redemption, that they should repent and come unto our God, that there might not be more sorrow upon all the face of the earth. But behold, I am a man, and do sin in my wish, for I ought to be content with the things which the Lord hath allotted unto me. These beautiful expressions of longing by Alma are a favorite theme of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. They represent the feelings of all those who have served as missionaries and have the gratification of seeing the gospel change the hearts and minds of the Father's children from sorrow to joy. But suddenly Alma stops and says, I ought not to harrow up in my desires the firm decree of a just God, for I know that he granteth unto men according to their desire, whether it be unto death or unto life. Yea, I know that he allotteth unto men according to their wills, whether they be unto salvation or unto destruction. Yea, and I know that good and evil have come before all men. He that knoweth not good from evil is blameless, but he that knoweth good and evil to him it is given according to his desires, whether he desireth good or evil, life or death, joy or remorse of conscience. Now seeing that I know these things, why should I desire more than to perform the work to which I have been called? Why should I desire that I were an angel, that I could speak unto all the ends of the earth. It is interesting that while Alma feels he should curtail his ambitions and aspirations, the Lord's real problem with most of his children is getting them involved and striving to find ways in which they can accomplish some good. In a modern revelation, the Lord says, quote, Verily I say, men should be anxiously engaged in a good cause, and do many things of their own free will, and bring to pass much righteousness, for the power is in them, wherein they are agents unto themselves. And inasmuch as men do good, they shall in no wise lose their reward. But he that doeth not anything until he is commanded, and receiveth the commandment with a doubtful heart, and keepeth it with slothfulness, the same is damned. Unquote. Doctrine and Covenants 58, verses 26 to 29. For behold, the Lord doth grant unto all nations, of their own nation and tongue, to teach his word, yea, in wisdom, all that he seeth fit that they should have. Therefore we see that the Lord doth counsel in wisdom, according to that which is just and true. God seeks to increase the light and knowledge and happiness of all people. But if they are apostate and wicked, 
they can go backwards. In Alma 12, verses 9 to 11, it says that a wicked, apostate, stiff-necked people can lose God's light completely and dwell in total darkness. I know that which the Lord hath commanded me, and I glory in it. I do not glory of myself, but I glory in that which the Lord hath commanded me. Yea, and this is my glory, that perhaps I may be an instrument in the hands of God to bring some soul to repentance. And this is my joy. And behold, when I see many of my brethren truly penitent, and coming to the Lord their God, then is my soul filled with joy. Then do I remember what the Lord has done for me, yea, even that he hath heard my prayer. Yea, then do I remember his merciful arm, which he extended towards me. Alma had such a corrupt youth before he was stopped by an angel and converted in the spirit world that he wants others who have made mistakes to have the joy that he received when he was eventually forgiven of his sins. Yea, and I also remember the captivity of my fathers, for I surely do know that the Lord did deliver them out of bondage, and by this did establish his church. Yea, the Lord God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob did deliver them out of bondage. Yea, I have always remembered the captivity of my fathers, and that same God who delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians did deliver them out of bondage. Yea, and that same God did establish his church among them. Yea, and that same God hath called me by a holy calling to preach the word unto this people, and hath given me much success in the which my joy is full. But I do not joy in my own success alone, but my joy is more full because of the success of my brethren who have been up to the land of Nephi. It was indeed true that Alma had enjoyed much success as a disciple once he was converted. But Alma says his missionary friends, the sons of Mosiah, far exceeded anything he had ever done. Behold, they have labored exceedingly, and have brought forth much fruit, and how great shall be their reward. Now, when I think of the success of these, my brethren, my soul is carried away, even to the separation of it from the body, as it were, so great is my joy. In fact, when he thinks what the sons of Mosiah accomplished among the Lamanites, it arouses in him such feelings of joy that he can hardly contain his consciousness. He knows what happened to Ammon, who fainted on two occasions because of his wonderful sense of joy, and Alma almost feels as though the same could happen to him. And now may God grant unto these, my brethren, that they may sit down in the kingdom of God, yea, and also all those who are the fruit of their labors, that they may go no more out, but that they may praise him forever. And may God grant that it may be done according to my words, even as I have spoken. Amen. Alma closes this beautiful soliloquy by pronouncing a solemn benediction on his wonderful friends who accomplished so much among the Lamanites. 
If you liked this podcast and would like more materials by W. Cleon Skousen, you can find his other books and recordings at skousenlibrary.com or at your local LDS bookstore.